right there near the end of the chapter. In Matthew 16, we'll want to read beginning at verse 24 through the end. So Matthew 16, verse 24 through the end of the chapter. Again, hear the word of the Lord. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world, And lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. And we look for God's blessing upon the public reading of His Word. And we want to open our hearts again with prayer as we come to this portion this morning. So let's do seek the Lord's face again. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we ask that our hearts may be open to this book. Lord, we know that our Savior's holy heart was pressed to this book. He loved it. He quoted it. He meditated upon it. He fulfilled it in thought, word, and deed. O God, we pray, may something of our Master's love and conformity to this holy book be ours today. We pray in His name. Amen. Well, we come to these last two verses today of this chapter. We were thinking upon last Sunday, Christ's great call to deny ourselves if we would come after Him, take up our cross and to follow Him. And the great value then of the soul. That's what He's really addressing. Our true life is in the soul. You have all these other things, all these other Profits and gains in this world. But the most important, the most valuable, the most important one to look after is the soul, is the heart, is the inner man. And Jesus says, there is no profit to be compared to gaining the soul. To saving the soul. There's no exchange you can come up with that is equal, that is sufficient. And so he says, seek that, if you will. And it is found in coming after him in salvation and in discipleship. Well, He gives us some encouragements here, I think, in the last two verses to do just that. Because when a man comes after Christ, 
Just as Christ walked before His people in suffering. You remember the context. Jesus has just said that He was going to be betrayed. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. But He's going to rise the third day. And Peter came, if you will, and took Jesus by the shoulders, if we speak that way, and rebuked Him. He said, be it far from thee, Lord. Jesus says, no, Peter. You don't savor the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You've judged these things not by the Holy Scriptures, not by what the prophets said I should be and do, not by what I've been telling you, not what I've just told you that I would do, but by your own thoughts, your own interests and inclinations, your own expectations. Then He says to us, we have the same pathway. A pathway of suffering. Taking up the cross. The same pathway of self-denial. Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. I don't do my own works. I do the works the Father gave me to do. And Jesus is saying, I'm your master if you come after me. You follow me. You do my works. You think my thoughts. But it's not easy. It wasn't easy for Christ. Of course, no sin was found in Him. But what do we read of Him in the garden? The struggle in prayer. If the cup might pass from Him. But He said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what Thou wilt. It is a, a religion of self-denial. I mean, it doesn't stop there. But as a part of it, we follow Christ Jesus, not ourselves. We do His will. We believe His words, even above our own. And it can seem very, perhaps, negative. It could seem uh, very much a thing that would kind of push us away from it. Because, you know, you're denying yourself. You're taking up a cross that brings suffering. And you're following another's drum, if you will. Not your own. Who wants to do that? We know Christ is a great man. You could think of the apostles surmising in their hearts. But this, all or nothing. Well, Jesus, I say, I think, in view of all that, and you can see the reticence, because what did Peter do? He spoke really for them all. Be it far from the Lord. Your kingdom is glorious. Your reign, your ministry, that should end not in suffering and death, but in a throne that's over Caesar. He says, no, that's not the way of God. The way of God is victory through suffering. Victory through suffering. As I want to point out two encouragements for us to follow Christ or to suffer with Him or for Him. In other words, for our journey as those that would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow Christ Jesus. 
One is a, a sight that is far away, or is far off. The first one. And it is the final judgment as recorded there in verse 27. It says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to His works. And the second one we'll come to in a moment is more near. Because He says, Some of them standing there should not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. So it's a, it's a nearer sight. But He begins with this one that is far off. And really uh, is one that would tell us to prepare. That this one here, you know, this, the second one is, is close and it's more, you know, positive. You're going to see this great sun coming in the kingdom. This first one, though, that is far away speaks of us needing to prepare. To prepare. To be ready uh, for this judgment. It's coming in the glory. Of His Father with His angels. But so in this close, or this far off sight I should say, of verse 27, you notice the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels. He came the first time lowly, didn't He? He came, He was one that being eternal God, humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. He took on human nature. A real one. He was born of the Virgin Mary. A mysterious conception. It was by the power of the Holy Ghost. But he humbled himself. He Not only was he just taking on the nature of man, it wasn't a glorious family. It was a good tribe, the tribe of Judah, which Christ was prophesied to come, but... It was broken down, if you will. It's like the Old Testament prophet said. It's a, it's a little shoot coming out of the stump. The Davidic kingdom was leveled to the very end. The very little rule they had, but not at all supreme. And that was where the greater David was springing out of. That was his first coming in, in a manger. In a, a barn, if you will. As we sang in Psalm 69... Because of who He was and His claims, His, his own mother's children, so His brethren, His half-brethren, thought He was a stranger. He, they didn't like Him the whole time. They came around by God's grace. But even His own kinfolk couldn't receive Him. That's great humiliation. What about the the powers that be in the church of that day, and the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, doctors of the law of God, as it studied it and propounded it. What did they think of Him? Well, we know, don't we? Keep reading it through the Gospels. <laughs> they rejected Him. They attacked Him. They tempted Him. They tested Him. They opposed Him. They took up stones to kill Him. And Peter and all of them expect we have to overcome all this by a glory that the Old Testament prophesied of. And it surely did. But Jesus is saying there's a time of visible glory. There's a time when I will come in the glory of my Father. 
The Son of Man. Notice he says the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. Yet this one now that is humbled, this one now that is rejected, despised of men, this one that will be hung upon the tree for the sins of his people as a victim, put in a tomb, as you read today, by those two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And I'll rise the third day. But he only stayed 40 days and then he was ascended up into heaven. Didn't sit on any throne here. Didn't command any armies. Didn't conquer any territory. But he's coming. The Son of Man now humbled. Now one rejected will come in the glory of his Father and his eternal glory. Remember he prayed in John 17 to glorify the Son with the glory he had before he came. He will come back in that glory. Notice with His angels. Mighty. You read about their powers in the Old Testament particularly. Where one angel slew thousands at one swath of a sword as it were. But it's a plurality coming with Christ. They attend Him. They do His will. I carry out His commands and they will manifest, promote the glory, the majesty, the authority, the kingdom of Christ in that day. But when He does this, it says that He will come for a reason. Not just to be, as it were, in the air or seen, so people can admire and be overcome with His glory, which I'm sure we will. But He comes for a purpose. And it is, He says, to reward every man according to His works. To reward every man according to His works. We read of this again in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. And then also in 25... And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send His angels the great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And if we look over in Matthew 25, the next chapter there, in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him. It's spoken of His glory there, His Father's glory, and the other, the same glory, because they are both one God. Different persons. But He comes in His, in His glory. And all the holy angels with Him. Notice, then He shall sit upon the throne of His glory. There's what Peter wanted. But this is at the end. And before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He shall separate them one from another. 
As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left, or on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he gives the evidence of their works. He said, For I was in hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. And notice how the righteous answer. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? Or when saw we a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, or clothed thee, or... When saw we sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then it says, He shall say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And he gives the same scenario. But in the opposite way. They didn't do to him what they should have. Because they rejected it in his people. And he says in the last verse. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into life eternal. Christ says when he comes in the glory of his father. Or as in his own glory as Matthew 25 describes it. He's coming to sit on a throne of judgment, to reward, to recompense, uh, to give out that which is according to the tenor, according to the character of the individuals. And Jesus is saying to His disciples, look, here and now, it's going to be a time of suffering, a time of self-denial, a time of following Me. It may not look very glorious in Me or in you. But be encouraged. There's a time coming. There's a time when everything will be assessed rightly. It is not now. Paul says in one of his epistles, even of his own ministry, he says, judge nothing before the time. We don't really know how it's all going to fall out. But there is a time when Christ as the Son of God, the Son of Man upon His throne of glory, will judge, will discern, will hand out everything without error. In strict justice. Notice that in Matthew 25, you still have your place there. When He sits upon His throne in all that glory with the holy angels all around Him to judge... The first thing it says of him, as the nations are all gathered before him, he shall separate, verse 32, he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. One of our friends, Paul Elliott, pointed out in one of his books one time, I thought it was a very good thought. 
when men come to be judged of their works, we're really speaking here of evidences of what they really were and are. Because what does he do first? He doesn't say, well, let me see. You have enough works here. I think you'll be my sheep. Why don't you come over here on my right-hand side? Well, you don't have enough good works. I think you come over here on my left. But no, he says as he comes to the, the sea of nations, if you will, he picks out all of his sheep on his right hand and says, come over here. All the goats, he says, come over here. They're already what they are. They're already sheep. They're already goats. He makes that distinction there and he says, here are the evidences. You remember how Revelation talks about the books being opened. And we read out our, our works, or the Lord does rather. And he says to the sheep, you did this when I was hungry and thirsty. And I was a stranger and I was naked and I was in prison and I was sick. Notice how the righteous respond. They don't say, oh yes, we, we know. We'll polish up that brass you know, button on our, on our lapel here. Well, our good work. No, they say, when? The sheep know that they wash their robes in the righteousness in the blood of Christ. They're like, what? what? We, we, didn't, we didn't do anything worthy of being on your right hand and going into that place that you call the kingdom prepared for us to inherit from the foundation of the world. And as he says at the end of the chapter, until life eternal. Christ will say, you are inheriting it. You may have lost much here. You lost yourself. You took up your cross and suffered. As hard as it was, and and Christ can say in His human nature, He understands to do the will of His Father in heaven to us, to do the will of Christ, which is the same. You struggled. Of course, imperfectly. We obeyed Christ. We did all these things. But I'd ask you, can Christ say that of you? Has His grace been in you so you have that desire and you seek to do the will of your Savior? Not your own. To believe the things He teaches you and me. To suffer the things that He puts in our path. Again, we don't make up our own crosses. And maybe we should say, because we've had it going through Burlington from time to time, it's not a wooden structure that you put a roller skate on the back of it and you put it on your shoulder and you walk down the sidewalk. We've seen that. That's not the idea. It is the, the things that come to you because you're a Christian, the rejection of others, misunderstandings, unpopular doctrine, or pra- whatever. We don't make them up. It is they come as we follow our dear Lord. And of course, following Him wherever He leads, in His providence and by His Word. There's coming a day He'll be vindicated. Vindicated. It's not now. But the other side is the same. What we have gained here, what we are here, will be manifested. As one other place says in the New Testament, the day shall declare it. 
That great judgment day. We are ashamed of Christ. We wouldn't take up our cross. We, we wouldn't own Him in prison. When He's sick, Christ remembers what's done to Him and not done to Him as a judge the last day. But again, we're not saved by these works. There's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12 it's the name of Christ. It's all His work. All of His blood that was shed for us. All of His intercession. His righteousness imputed to us. But this is what we call the vindication of the saint. The condemnation of the wicked in the day of judgment. It shows the grace of God in the saint. And the lack of it in the sinner. Those that will be destroyed on that day. Let me read as we close this point before we come to that closer sight of Christ manifesting His glory. It's one sentence or two from Matthew Henry. He said, Here, so here in this time, in our lives now, good and evil seem to be dispensed promiscuously. We see not apostasy punished with immediate strokes, nor fidelity encouraged with immediate smiles from heaven. But in that day, we'll be set to rights. All will be set to rights. End of quote. In that day, everything will be adjusted correctly. So we may have to wait. We may have to not be impatient. Why is these things, are these things not adjusted? Not conformed to justice? Well, it's not the day yet. But it's coming. It's coming. Be ready. Prepare by believing on Him and serving Him. Well, here we also have, secondly, in verse 28, a sight that is closer at hand. A sight that is closer at hand. There's some of this sight that was seen by the disciples, and some we actually can see ourselves. I notice what the text says, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here, which shall not taste of death, till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. There's some standing there that Christ was speaking to. The disciples. But also, as we notice, Mark says, uh, the people were called together as well. They will not taste of death. They will not die till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Again, these are connected. This is the whole estate, the whole time of Christ's exaltation. The end of it is the judgment, as we just saw. But the beginning of it, Christ is saying, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be start to be seen in the days of the apostles. And he says, it'll be the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. When we come to the next chapter, you'll, if you look down at chapter 17, it says, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, 
and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. This was a glorious manifestation of Christ. In fact, if we go back, and I'll read it if you'd like to turn, you can, but Second Peter chapter 1, and Peter describes what this sight was that he was one of three witnesses to. In First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter one, and verse sixteen, he says, "For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His Majesty." He describes, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter's recounting to them, we've made known, us apostles have made known unto you the power of and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we were eyewitnesses of this majesty, this glory, that He has in Himself as God. It's just transfigured. And so there's a glance at it here, as one man said. There's a, there's a peek at it right here on this mountain by these three disciples. Of the coming and the glory, the majesty of Christ. To encourage them. You're going to follow me. It's going to be a lot of hard things. It's going to be joys, of course. God's grace is sufficient. We are to rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, Paul said. But Christ is not one that that sugarcoats things. He says, you know, there's going to be affliction. There's going to be a cross. There's going to be another master beside yourself. It's me. Did that bother the apostles in the sense that it it made them sour and bitter and morose? We can read from Matthew right to Revelation. And even when they're being stoned to death like our dear brother Stephen, was he looking up with joy? He was saying, Father, forgive these men. They don't even know what they're doing. That's what it produces in the saint. But he's saying, you know, it's going to—it's not easy to the flesh, to the natural man, to our natural desires, our natural bent. But I will vindicate you. I have prepared a place from the foundation of the world for you to come. In fact, I'm going to show you a little bit of my glory, a little encouragement to you that yes, I am a king. I'm coming again. You also will be. In that, rewarded. Remember what Paul said, if we suffer with Him, we shall reign with Him. But reigning is later. Suffering is now. But so, they see this glimpse, if you will, of Christ's great glory and coming in the very next chapter, six days later after He spoke this to them. So it's a very near sight for them. But you know, not only that, but we find in Acts chapter 1 and 2, that the power of Christ in His kingdom was also coming 
in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Because of His exaltation, because of His kingship, because of His glory in heaven. He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, When they therefore were come together, of course Jesus is still on earth now, after His resurrection, but before His ascension, they asked of Him saying, that is of Christ, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power. But he shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He says, I'm going to bestow power. I'm coming upon you, not personally. He's going to say he's going to go into heaven. He did, just right after that. But through the Holy Ghost who I'm sending... And you'll be witnesses starting in Jerusalem until the, really to the uttermost part of the, the earth, as he says. So we read in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost fully came. And suddenly in verse 2, there came a sound from heaven where Christ was sitting. As of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, there appeared upon them cloven tongues, or divided tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so what did they do? They preached the gospel in the languages of all those different Jews, from all those different countries, and it lists a whole lot of them. We're not going to read all of that right now. They can understand the glorious tidings of the good news. But in Acts 2, if we go down to verse 32, all this happened. The men were like, well, how is this happening? He gave some different texts of Scripture uh, to show that this was prophesied to happen. But then he comes to verse 32. Speaking now of Christ being raised from the dead. He said, verse 32, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into, he into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. But you see the connection Peter's making. Christ has ascended. He's exalted on high at the right hand of the majesty on high of His Father. And He has shed forth, He has poured forth this that ye see and hear now. The Holy Ghost coming, giving utterance in all the different languages or tongues and saving men by it. That is part of the kingdom that is part of the 
power of the Son of God that they saw to encourage them. Christ has not left us as orphans. (laughs) He has come to us with the Holy Spirit as He promised. As He promised. He continues that. Not only in the Apostles' days, but if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, it's also in our days. Ephesians chapter 4. The same connection is made between Christ being exalted and giving gifts to His church. So we'll pick up in chapter 4 of Ephesians at verse 8. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So that's Jesus. And then notice what he says about him being there. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we'll stop there for now. But you see, He's exalted at the right hand of the Father, far above all heavens. He might fill all things. What does He do? In His great power and glory and authority, He manifests it down here on earth by giving what? Gifts to men. And He names them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To perfect the saints. The work of ministry. The edifying of the body of Christ. When you see faithful pastors, teachers and evangelists today, we can thank God the Son is shedding forth His power. We see that in this earth. He's showing that He is alive. He is ruling. He is reigning. He is gathering in by the preaching of the Word. His sheep. So yes, the apostles saw some things more mighty than we would see. The transfiguration. The day of Pentecost. Some of those, as it were, not not so much the tongues, but the mass conversions have happened too. Some of these genuine revivals read of in, in church history. Since the apostles' days. You can see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And then gathering in His saints. And once they're gathered, and perfecting them. And building them up. And edifying them. And bringing them to the unity of the faith. Have you seen that? Well, we have. We have. Christ is giving us a testimony. I'm reigning. I'm exalted. 
Don't be afraid to follow me. I will vindicate you at the last day. Your soul, your following me is worth, worth multitudes more than gaining the whole world. Of following your own desires. Refusing to take up the cross and coming after me. I am king. I am king. That's the positive side. We also can see a perhaps a rehearsal of the day of judgment in His kingdom. When He destroyed the temple and He destroyed Jerusalem. Showing that no, that is not now the manifestation of my kingdom. My kingdom is now spiritual. Yes, it has organized parts like we have today. The gathering of the church. As He says, He gave officers to it. Well, that system, that expression of it is now outmoded. The, the church has grown out of it, as Paul says in Galatians. And of course, by and large, sadly, the Jews rejected the Savior and He rejected their system. And, and really, it's a blessing in that judgment. Because what does it do? It points them to the reality that all that was really a shadow of a type of, but it wasn't the actual thing. And it didn't accomplish in itself what only Christ did accomplish on the cross and in His intercession now and His reigning now. So another evidence that Christ was reigning because He prophesied of that as well. These are encouragements to us to follow Christ, to take up His gospel as our own, to take up that discipleship of bearing the cross that He puts on us, of following Him, of being faithful to Him all of our lives. Because there's a day of judgment coming when everything will be gathered. That means all the folks that have ever lived. The books will be opened, the works will be read, And the sheep will be vindicated and the goats will be condemned. And even now and here we know Christ is reigning. There's a judgment because we can see Him working now. He's maintaining His truth. Yes, there's apostasy, falling away from the truth of of the Word of God. But there's not all apostasy. There's those that are faithful. God, Christ is doing it. His Spirit is working as He promised us He would. In power. Because, I mean, we have to think about this, don't we? If it wasn't for His Spirit, who's called, of course, the Spirit of Truth, what would we do? We'd walk on our own ways, our own lives. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What does the devil do? He lies. Remember how the Bible describes him? He is a liar from the beginning. And we're naturally able and willing to believe Him. We would have our own religion. It might be similar to what God said, like Cain was. He's similar. He acknowledged God, but he served Him in the wrong way and didn't rely upon a blood sacrifice to come. Works of his own hands. It was similar. had parts of truth, but it wasn't the true religion. Brethren, what a powerful Christ we serve who can come in To all the lies, all the confusion, all the discordant voices saying this is what you should believe, this is what you should do. 
and make us to understand and receive His own truth for ourselves. To believe on Christ when He is remodeled today as, we, as every day. Apostles' Day saw it too. When He's denied, He's saying it's, you know, it's just fables, what have you. Oh, brethren, see, even before you and I taste death, we're seeing the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Coming in His kingdom. His little ways He shows, He's ruling and reigning up to that great day. Well, as we close today, and we think about coming to the communion table, that victory through death, but it points, as Jesus said, there's a coming judgment of those who love and follow and believe on me and those who don't. I want to read just a little poem from George Herbert, an Anglican a couple of centuries back, about the judgment and what he will do when he comes to that judgment and what would we do. Almighty Judge, how shall poor wretches brook thy dreadful look? Able a heart of iron to appall when thou shalt call for every man's peculiar book. What others mean to do I know not well, yet I hear tell that some will turn thee to some leaves therein, so void of sin that they in merit shall excel. But I resolve when thou shalt call for mine that to decline and thrust a testament into thy hand, let that be scanned. There thou shalt find my faults are thine. In other words, he's saying, Christ has bore his faults. What are you and I going to say? We're going to say, hey, look at all those works there. We're going to say, no, Christ, in the blood of the Testament, that's where my faults are, covered there. But let us pray. O God in heaven, Give us help to be ready for the judgment day. You may be able to truly say with Mr. Herbert, Here's the testament. All my faults are thine. O Lord, may we be covered in the precious blood, each and every one. Bless us now, Father, as we come in just a few minutes to the communion table. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.